0: Invite you to take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. We are con- continuing our study in the book of Ephesians. If you are using the Bibles there in the chairs, it's on page 814. And we have the outline with blanks to fill in in the bulletin, in the middle of the bulletin. I've had people at times realize those guests that don't realize that's there. And if you're watching by live stream, it's available on our website as well. We've been looking at God's Word to the church at Ephesus, which is also God's Word for us today. And the emphasis is on on viewing the church through spiritual eyes. You know, we live in a day when often that is not how the church is viewed. And particularly at this time of year with Palm Sunday today and then Easter next week as uh, often people focus on going to church, uh, but they, they think of the building. And it's important that we not view the church from a naturalistic, materialistic, individualistic, or even a consumeristic perspective. Yet that's often the case. You know, the church is not the architectural structure in which we meet. This is the building that has our our name on it, but it's actually where Tri-City Baptist Church gathers as we come together. That the building is not the church but the body and the Bible uses a number of metaphors to describe the church uh, several of them here in Ephesians that of a body of a building and of the bride and these really communicate that the church is an organism not merely an organization a body not a business and it's a it's a reminder of how we need one another I was reminded of that very much this week in the importance of having a spiritual support team. I had the privilege of joining our International Baptist College and Seminary group for their annual hike of the Grand Canyon. And I had over 60 people that joined on this hike. They were asking, so pastor, are you going to have illustrations from this? Yes, but I wasn't initially planning on this one. But as I watched how the team worked together, it was a a great reminder. The first time I had been on and the last time I'd gone with this group was eight years ago this month I had just come to Arizona to take the presidency of our our college and when I arrived Dr. Tetro said you need to come on the hike and so I I headed up there with the group I joined them I didn't do the the whole hike I I, I said "I, I think I need to be careful I said well you ski you can do this I said no skiing gravity takes me down chairlift takes me up I haven't seen the chairlift and I still haven't found the chairlift (laughs) but you know my first time at the Grand Canyon to ever see it I saw it at sunset this time I got to enjoy it at sunrise and to see that and as we were hiking and uh, first time there was only one group this time we we have two groups one that went all the way to the river there was another group that this is the river group there was another group that went to Plateau Point and back that was uh, just under 13 miles that was my group so I didn't have to do the whole 17 miles, but I was supposed to get them to that spot and back. And, uh, but one of the things that I, I noticed was how much of this is a team effort. And those that were on it spoke of that, the support staff, those that helped with the, the food, those that were running the shuttles and the buses and, and keeping in radio communication to keep track of how we were doing. And, and then there are people just along the trail encouraging you. And and I thought, what a wonderful illustration of our spiritual walk and the need for one another. Too often, the church is viewed from a consumeristic mentality, what's in it for me? What can I get? And yet we come together to give. That there really is a need spiritually for a place to belong. And I I want us to consider that this morning, that we have a place to belong spiritually. And from from Ephesians chapter 2, This chapter, as we have been considering, describes how God takes sinners who were dead in sin and deserving of his judgment and not only saves them, but then unites them into a new humanity, a new body. And that purpose is to display his glory. That our salvation is by grace alone, it's through faith alone, it's in Christ alone. And and the first 10 verses really speak of that need for salvation and, and what God has done but it's not simply the redemption that we're on our own we're put into a body through reconciliation and that's what verses 11 through the end of the chapter are speaking about how those that are redeemed are then reconciled not only to God but to others and then united as believers in this new creation the church and while everyone was dead in sin without Christ and need to Savior, what we saw last week was Gentiles were in even, even worse condition because they were far off. They were distant from the promises that were given to Israel. They didn't have the hope of the Messiah. And, and so Christ brought them close that we can have peace with God, that peace is in Christ, and then God takes people that were hostile to one another and unites them together. Jews and Gentiles in Christ brought to peace with each other. And it's through the cross of Christ that God is uniting the Gentiles into a a new man, verse 15 tells us, a a body brought together by the cross of Christ, as it will mention in verse 16. And and the point of this, and the reason I'm, I'm bringing this back around to us is Christ doesn't just save a bunch of individuals to live disconnected lives on spiritual islands instead, God is growing a spiritual family, the church, to declare his glory. And and we need a body. We need one another. He's removed the barriers between the believing Jews and Gentiles, that's verses 14 and 15, and produced a new creation that is reconciled to God as a new humanity. And and while trusting Christ is a personal decision that each of us must make individually, Your, your parents can't make it for you, you can't make it for your children or for somebody else, understand that God's purpose in redemption is not just individual. It's community. God's design for fellowship by the very definition is a family issue. God's plan for your sanctification and mine is involves a spiritual society and even God's intention in evangelism is not just individual but to save sinners who will then be added to the church to edify one another and exalt his name together and that they will come from every tribe tongue people group and nation and so where does this reconciliation take place it's in the body of Christ the church Verse 14 says, two are made one. Verse 15, the the two become a one new man or new creation. Verse 16 speaks of one body. Verses 17 and 18, those who are far off, the Gentiles, and those who are near, the Jews, have equal access to God. And throughout this passage, the context is of what God is doing through Christ in building the church. The final verses of this chapter, verses 19 through 22, the metaphor changes from a body to a building. But it's not the structure in which we meet, but that we are God's building. And we're going to consider that this morning, but I want us to get the context of of what we are considering in really this last paragraph. So I'm going to begin the reading in verse 11. Follow with me as I begin reading Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 11. Therefore, remember that you... Once Gentiles in the flesh who are called the uncircumcision by those called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ." And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. For through him, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Lord, as we look into your word this morning, we pray that we would humble ourselves, that we would apply your word personally and individually, that as a church we would grow in unity and exaltation of your name. For it is in Christ's name we ask this, amen. What I want us to consider from this passage this morning is that through the peace that Christ accomplished, believers have been placed into a unique relationship with Christ and with each other, and the purpose for all of this is that God would be glorified. The unity that believers experience is is pictured in several ways in this passage. The first picture that we have is that there is one citizenship, It says in verse 19, you are fellow citizens. Now, therefore, you're no longer strangers. You're no longer foreigners. And I I want to point out that the unity that was spoken of in, in verses 14 through 17 is not a general statement of Jews and Gentiles getting along. It's a specific statement of the redeemed Jews and the redeemed Gentiles who are brought together and united in Christ. Because this is the emphasis that we considered last week that that the peace is in Christ himself that Christ himself is our peace That's what it says in verse 14 He's the prince of peace and it's through him that we have peace with God and then with others and with ourselves One author said peace with God and peace with each other and peace with ourselves come in the same package When a person's not at peace with God, they're not going to be at peace with themselves And and there's going to be conflict with others. It's a package because it's in Christ himself. Christ himself is our peace. Christ himself created our peace. That's verses 15 and 16. In doing this in this new humanity, thus making peace. And then Christ preached peace. And that's verses 17 and 18. And we referenced last week John 10, where, where Jesus said he's calling sheep out of the fold, of Israel, but that he has other sheep that aren't of that fold, the Gentiles, and putting them together in one flock. Many sheep, one flock. Many parts to the body, one body. Many stones in the building, one building. And that's what we see in these. So those who were far off are now brought near. And, And it's interesting because both verse 5 and verse 13 are emphasizing the changes that take place because of the mercy of God. After the first four verses talk about the horrible state of man without God, it says, but God, in verse 5, who was rich in mercy. Now in verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus... And both of these verses are emphasizing the, the mercy of God in sending his son to die on the cross to redeem and reconcile those who were dead and deserving of destruction. But the contrast that we're seeing in verse 19 compares to earlier verses. So it says, now therefore you're no longer strangers. Well, verse 12 began this section and mentioned that Gentiles were aliens of the commonwealth of Israel and strangers. But no longer at one time gentiles could be allowed in the country but they didn't have the rights of citizens they may have some rights that were granted by a treaty and we don't really comprehend this in our country we we don't get this because even those who come to our country illegally are treated humanely if there if there are physical needs they're cared for in our hospitals it, it, their their children are educated if, if there are legal issues. They, they get legal help That wasn't the case in Rome and If you weren't a member if you weren't a citizen you had no rights and And so what we're seeing in both of these words is the idea of a foreigner a stranger the, the first word is is a little more temporary the strangers and then the foreigners and maybe the idea of a, a tourist You're you're in the country, you have a right to travel, they've checked your passport, uh, but you're not a resident there. The second word has more of the idea of a, a residence visa. You can reside in the country, but you're still a foreigner. And you may have certain rights, but you are not a citizen. But now, because of the blood of Jesus Christ, Jews and Gentiles are fellow citizens. There's one citizenship. You know, it's some people and some of you have, have worked and gotten citizenship. And, and that's a special opportunity. There are others that that hold a, a permanent visa, a green card, the opportunity to be here, but don't don't have the rights of a citizen. Citizenship brings security. The Gentiles didn't have that. They, they, they weren't part of the nation of Israel. And yet instead of being joined as now Gentiles being joined to the Jews in the Old Covenant, the Gentiles and the Jews are placed into a new covenant on equal footing. And understanding that, the question then is, do you re- rejoice in the security that you have when you are a citizen of heaven? As a follower of Jesus Christ, do you understand the... the Confidence, the security that that brings that you are a citizen of heaven. See, in the ancient Greco-Roman world, citizenship was, was highly personal and it, and it provided an identity. It was treasured. In fact, in, in Acts 22, verse 28, Paul is having a conversation with a Roman commander, a centurion, who's surprised to learn that Paul is a Roman citizen. And the commander makes this comment. He says, with a large sum, I obtained this citizenship. And Paul responds, I was born a citizen. That was a special position. Citizenship was and and is significant. The customs, even of one city in that day, were a source of pride. And so what that town, what a city like Ephesus, this is why the, the uprising, that these are against the goddess Diana, that was part of the identification in Ephesus. You know, we, we don't see that in the same way, though there is some of that. I grew up in a small farming community, and our Memorial Day parade was a big deal. I mean, the whole town turned out for the Memorial Day parade. You know, the, it, we'd start at one end of town at the library. We'd go down our one main street past our one stoplight and, and then out the other side of town and it would end at the cemetery. And then there would be a service at the cemetery. Somebody would speak. Uh, they would have prayer. There would be a 21-gun salute. I mean, it was a special time and and the the volunteer fire department would have their trucks in the parade our police car would be in the play, parade we may have had two i don't remember the junior high and high school bands would be in the parade the vfw would march our politicians would ride in cars and then anybody who had an old antique car could be in the parade and and, and probably anybody else who wanted to and as kids we could be in the parade we would take our bikes and decorate them. Uh, some some would attach American flags to the handlebars. We'd weave red, white, and blue cray paper through the spokes. I probably ruined some very valuable baseball cards with those tire spokes as well. Um, but then we could ride in the parade. And you know, I still look back on that as as a special enjoyable time because it was part of our community. It was a special time in our town. There was a a cohesion and there was a security in being part of a community. When you're part of of God's family, you're a citizen of heaven. There's a special security. Philippians 3.20 says, Our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior. The Lord Jesus Christ will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body. So we look forward to that, why? Because this world isn't our home. We're citizens there, we're pilgrims here. But it also brings a level of commitment because the other thing that we can see is that we need to live with a persistent realization of our eternal home and then invest our lives accordingly. That when we recognize this world isn't our final dwelling place, what are we doing to invest in eternity? In people who are eternal you know and this is where people want to belong to something we see that in our culture they want a place to fit in then they need to be part of something bigger than themselves otherwise there's a, a real discouragement people try to find their group whether it's cliques in school or, or joining other groups or even generational identification And it's interesting to see how they've tracked the generations from the greatest generation to the the silent generation to the baby boomers, to the the Gen X, to millennials, Gen Z, and now Gen Alpha. Those born between in the early 2010s through the, the mid, probably about 2024 is what they're estimating. And when I was a youth pastor and working with young people, I would get the books and read about, okay, what are the characteristics of Gen X? And the millennials and then gen z and and you know there are some fascinating aspects to that there really are some unique shaping influences from the culture and the dynamics of and, that bring about some interesting characteristics but i also noticed there were a lot of similarities that show up because of fallen nature selfishness it might manifest itself in different areas but you know thinking i'm the center of everything tendency to be wise in our own eyes the need to belong where do i fit in and and that's one of the values then that of saying well i identify with this group because it gives a label these are my people do we have the label that we are christ's followers first peter 2 9 and 10 say you are his own special people who were once not a people but now are the people of God. What an amazing statement. We once weren't His people, but if you've trusted Jesus Christ, now you are. And to identify with that, and then to serve the Lord, to invest for eternity, and live in a way that reflects our heavenly citizenship. You know, we have a special relationship that that was hidden in the Old Testament. It's now being revealed. In fact, in chapter 3, verse 3, Paul's going to refer to this as this mystery. He said, but I've already spoken of it briefly. That's what we're studying. In Philippians 1.21, it says, for to me to live is Christ. Paul said that now that I am part of Christ, I, that's, that's what defines my life. Is that what defines yours? Or might it be Philippians 2.21, where Paul said, for all seek their own interests, not the things which are Christ's. You know, we, we can get caught up, and that's why I started by saying we can't look at the church from a consumeristic st- standpoint. We seek our own interests. What, what's in it for me? That I'm always right. Are we willing to learn, to grow, to fit together? You know, which verse would better describe our lives? What would other people say better describes our life? What would Christ say? For to me to live is Christ, or all seek their own? You know, the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is seen here in verse 19. You were foreigners. You are citizens. Before Christ, you were far off. Now you're a citizen. You need a people to belong to, a cause to invest in, but, but more than having a people, it's important to have a family. And that's the second thing we see. There's one citizenship, but secondly, there's one family, members of the household of God and the picture that is being brought out here the uniqueness that that you know as a resident alien you might live in a country but you're not really considered family you know if you if you have a green card a permanent residency you you have some rights but they're limited and after a certain period of time you are able to apply for citizenship as long as you have good moral character if you commit a criminal have a criminal conviction you could be removed are you comforted in the realization that regardless of your past you are accepted in Jesus Christ into God's family it's because of Christ we are accepted in the beloved not based on what our past is I heard one person from England saying that as a permanent resident he had taxation without representation he said I have to pay taxes but I can't vote he didn't have those rights do you realize that in heaven as a child of god you have representation without taxation that christ is there pleading our case for us what an amazing realization romans 8 15 says for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out abba father The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God. And joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. I'm a child of the King. Heirs of God. Joint heirs with Jesus Christ. How did this happen? Ephesians 1.5 told us, having been predestined, to the adoption as sons by Jesus Christ by which he made us accepted in the beloved. That is not based on, well, am I, have, do I have good moral character so I can get in? No, none of us could get in. It's not by works of righteousness which we have done. It's according to his mercy he saved us. It's not of works lest anyone would boast. And the Gentiles who were once separated from the Messiah without Christ, outside the covenant community, without God, without hope are part of God's household. Not only have they been brought inside the gate, they've been brought into the house. And we see the unity here. Believing Jews and Gentiles having equal access. And the relationship goes beyond citizenship to being family. I mean, it's one thing to have the same passport. It's another to have the same father. And we have the same heavenly father. I mean, Gentiles are now part of God's house. we're we're kinfolk and so do we intentionally endeavor to guard the unity of our local church family to bring honor to our father you know the church is not a religious franchise it's a spiritual family Ephesians chapter 4 beginning in verse 2 calls us to guard the spirits unity the in the bond of peace because Christ is our peace And we have a responsibility individually and corporately to keep that peace. So Romans 14, 19 says, Therefore, let us pursue peace, pursue the things which make for peace and the things which edify one another. Because what we have to understand is when we act selfishly, we hinder the work that God is trying to do in the church. He's bringing a body together. And the Holy Spirit indwells every one of us as believers. Well, what's the Holy Spirit doing? Seeking to build us up, to develop Christ-likeness. So if a person tears down another Christian by their words, discourages them, who are you really working against? This is why in our reading it said, Grieve not the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is working in that person and in each of us that know the Lord. And and so, if your speech is corrupt and tears down rather than working the necessary edification, as, as chapter 4, verses 29 and 30 said, then we're actually grieving the Holy Spirit. When we sow seeds of discord and doubt rather than unity and edification, we're working against the Spirit of God, which seals us to the day of redemption. This is why it's so serious. This is why Romans 16, 17 says, watch out for those who cause division and avoid them. Because the unity is in Christ, it's not unity with error. And so verse 18 tells us that it's the Holy Spirit by the Spirit that we have access to the Father. We're one family. And then the third picture that is brought out in this passage is there's one temple. A dwelling place of God. And it speaks of the foundation, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. That Christ is the cornerstone. In Psalm 118, beginning in verse 22, but I want to start at the end of this. Look at verse 25. And I've put the verses, the verses are on the PowerPoint, but in verse 25 it says, Save now, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is the cry that we find in Matthew 21, verse 9, at Christ's triumphal entry. That took place as Jesus rode the donkey, the people cast down the palm branches and spread them on the road and cried, Hosanna, save now, I pray. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. As we celebrate today, Palm Sunday, this was the cry and and so they're they're anticipating the people believe this is the long-awaited messiah the hosanna is the aramaic term that means save i pray or deliver us i pray save now i pray as it says in psalm 118 verse 25 and so we see that happening but we also read in in john 1 he came unto his own people and his own did not receive him he was rejected So verse 22 says, the first part of this section, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. So when was that stone rejected? At the crucifixion. Later this week, as we will be remembering that. When did he become the cornerstone? at the resurrection. Next Sunday, next Lord's Day, as we celebrate the resurrection, this is the emphasis of verse 24. This is the day that the Lord has made. What day? The day of resurrection is is the specific focus of that passage. Yes, we can say that each day is from the Lord, but the context was specifically speaking of the day of resurrection. It was anticipating when the stone that the builders rejected became the chief cornerstone this is the day the Lord has made so in Acts chapter 3 Peter and John go to the temple area they heal a lame man then they preach Jesus Christ and when it comes to chapter 4 they get arrested and in verse in chapter 4 verse 10 it says let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom you crucified whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. What was that name? Jesus of Nazareth. And, and now Peter and John are confronting the religious leaders and saying, you rejected the cornerstone. He's become the head of the corner. So Jesus Christ is our cornerstone. And this, as this passage says, now for our, our Greek students, I, I do realize that there is debate in this Ephesians passage as to whether the word is speaking of the cornerstone or the capstone. And in, in our text, the stone is, is actually in italics. And so there is debate about that, but I think the cornerstone fits the context because the capstone goes when the building is finished. And what we see is the building still taking place. And the cornerstone really would be the stone in that day by which the entire building would be lined up. The cornerstone had to be put into place and then it would be the, the guide for the horizontal placement of stones and also for the vertical aspect of the structure what a tremendous picture for the church that we look to Christ to guide what we do with one another and how we build we don't stick our finger in the wind and say what was our culture want it's not their church it's Christ's church he's the chief cornerstone and so it's built on Christ and then the apostles and the prophets and I believe back in in chapter 2 that's speaking of New Testament prophets and we see that because it's going to show up again in chapter 3, verse 5, chapter 4, verse 11. But they're part of the foundation as they were correctly aligned with Christ. And, and again, understand that the, the structure here, the thought is of building a structure before you had the manufactured bricks and stones that just all fit together. Before they had the mortar to slap in. So they would have to fit the stones together. And, and they had to be tested, and they would be tested by the cornerstone. So it says in Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, that is literally a stone of testing, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not, be, will not act hastily. This stone, Jesus Christ, is the beginning point of the structure and it's the point where all other stones must conform and so as it says in ephesians we're a we're a building being fitted together now isn't it true that in a church you kind of fit with some people better than others no yeah we we just kind of fit and others need some rough edges knocked off and we need some rough edges knocked off and that's part of the work of the church that as we come together as we strive to guard the unity that the Holy Spirit has given and develop Christ likeness those rough edges get knocked off and we don't always like that and sometimes people resist but folks that's part of the sanctification process that's why you need a church family sometimes people say well I don't need a church well that's not a biblical concept but maybe they need you Instead of thinking of yourself, how about thinking of others? One of the things that I I noticed and appreciated on the Grand Canyon hike was having others encourage one another. Some of our college students would come back and keep checking up on me. They probably didn't want to have to drag me out of the canyon. (laughs) But are you doing okay? You know, that kind of encouragement is necessary. And, and, and God is building this structure, this building, by bringing stones together. And, and what's amazing is he uses supplies that we probably, if we had our choice, would discard. God uses the building materials that most of us would reject. You know, those, those two-by-fours, the that, lows, that's like, yeah, that, was, that one's not right. Put that one at the back of the pile and take in a different one. Or this one's got, you know, too many not in it or this one's this one's missing a section it's chipped and 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 we would throw those back who does god choose who does christ save it says in first corinthians 6 verse 9 do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of god do not be deceived neither fornicators nor idolaters nor adulterers nor homosexuals nor sodomites nor thieves nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed. But you are sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Paul's writing to this church at Corinth and saying, these people will not inherit the kingdom of God. And some of you were that, but now you're not. You were afar off. Now you're part of the family. And what an amazing statement. And to realize we are washed, we are sanctified, we're justified by Jesus Christ. We are are part of the building. So what kind of building is being constructed? A holy temple. So the question that we have to ask is, are you striving to develop personal holiness in your life for the glory of God? Are you holy? Are you growing in holiness? Are you, as chapter 5, verse 16 is going to admonish us, to redeem the time. Are we redeeming the time because the days are evil? Folks, life is too short to play spiritual games. We need to invest in our eternal home. We're citizens of heaven. We're part of God's family. He's building a holy temple. We need to be holy as building materials. And how important that is. You know, one of the comments that we had if, after we came out of the Grand Canyon and we're, we're sitting around the fire and talking was commenting on some of the people that we saw going down that were totally unprepared for what they were doing. They didn't have enough water. They, they weren't ready for this. And, and yet, what do we do in building? 1 Corinthians 3, verse 12, talks about building materials. It says, if anyone builds on this foundation, the foundation is Jesus Christ, that's what verse 11 says, with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, his works will be revealed by fire. There's coming a judgment. And and, and understand, it's speaking of the church and our works. I mean, it's true what we do individually. What are we building with individually? But understand that it's, it's the church that's in focus in 1 Corinthians 3. And I don't want to see the building materials used at Tri City Baptist Church go up in flames, because we're seeking to serve the Lord and bring glory to Him. And so the warning that comes in chapter three, verse sixteen is: Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, he will God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy. Which temple you are, we're to be a holy temple. So, what are we taking into our lives individually? Because it's going to affect us corporately. The programs you watch, the video games you play, the music you listen to, the places you go, the habits you develop. Is it developing holiness? Redeem the time. The days are evil. And 1 Corinthians 6 19, which does speak to us individually, says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. These verses cover both the personal and corporate aspect of the need to be holy. And the function, then, is being built together. And so are you involved in promoting the spiritual growth in others, thus building the local church? The context of this section, these last verses, is, is not individual. It's corporate. Jesus didn't say, I will build your life. He said, I will build my church. And he builds it by bringing us together. Those who are far off, those who are near. We're, we're the building materials, we're the bricks. We may need areas chipped away. We need to change and grow. That's why you have to be humble, we have to be teachable that we're willing to learn and change and grow. And sometimes we have to come along somebody else and help them and support them. And, and we all face those struggles, and Galatians talks about these. Bear, bear one another's burdens. We need to be there. It's like climbing out of the Grand Canyon. We, we joke that the closer we got to the top, the, the less you greeted people because <laughs> you were saving whatever air you had. <laughs> And I remember coming around one corner and this lady sees me and I must have looked really bad. She said, you can make it. You're almost there. Keep going. And I laughed and I said, thank you so much. I needed that encouragement right now. But you know, we need that encouragement spiritually. Sometimes there are people who are really struggling and they need to be here today because they need you. They need you to encourage them. That's why we have a support system. The reason for a support system on the hike is when somebody's struggling to keep track to encourage to help one another this is a picture of that kind of encouragement and as we had the radios that we could keep in touch and see how people are doing let me ask you do you have somebody in your life that you will allow to speak into you to your life to encourage you to confront you in areas you need to change will you hear that that's why we have our small groups that's why you need to be part of an adult Bible fellowship, a care and share. Say, well, I don't really need that. Well, maybe somebody needs you. But I think you do need it. Where we have groups that we get connected, our men's breakfast, our ladies' fellowship, serving in the choir. And, and, and when people can notice that you're struggling and say, hey, how can I pray for you? Satan wants you isolated. Satan wants us alone. It's easier to pick us off that way. Do you have somebody who speaks into your life? And then do you have someone who you are investing in spiritually that you're seeking to encourage? This passage begins in verse 11 by pointing out that they were once in the flesh. It concludes at the end of verse 22 by noting they are now in the Spirit. Where are you this morning? Every one of us here is in one of those two categories. We're either in the flesh without Christ in the world or we're in the Spirit. And if you're in the Spirit, then walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. See, it's through the peace that Christ accomplished that that we are placed in this unique relationship with Christ for God's glory. Where are you this morning? Let's pray together.